Thanks for tuning into the Flip King Real Estate Radio. Whether you're a beginner or seasoned real estate vet, we are looking to help you grow your business and better your life with real world deal examples, tools and tricks for your daily business, and good old fashioned motivation to get you in the game. We're here to see your real estate business grow to fit your lifestyle, whether for straight cash or cash flow. Grab a pen and notebook and get ready to grow. It's the Flip King Real Estate Radio Show. Now, here's your host, Joe Evangelisti. Welcome, everybody. Joe Evangelisti, the FlipKing.com Real Estate Radio. Really excited about our guest today. He is a uh, not only an avid real estate investor, he believes in lifestyle design. He's controlling just about $21 million in real estate in a portfolio. Also happens to be the host of the best real estate investing vice, advice ever. And uh, also, weird fact here, but it looks like he might be the, one of the biggest Third Eye Blind fans ever, ever uh, in the history of America. So I just want to, uh, I want to introduce Joe Fairless, everybody. Joe, welcome to the show. Well, thanks a lot. And the only update I'd say to that bio is there's no might in be the biggest third eye blind fan in the world. It is a definitely I am the biggest third eye blind fan. And yes, they still tour. Yes, they still tour. And I'm actually I'm actually seeing them in a week from Saturday, which is awesome. That is a straight up fact. Number number one third eye blind. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So Joe, uh, Joe and I actually just did an interview for uh, um, for his podcast, and I learned now. Joe, is this twenty one million dollars? Is accurate now that you just picked up two hundred and fifty units? Yep, yep. That includes the two hundred and fifty in Houston. Okay, cool. Can you tell us uh, tell us a little bit about that acquisition and, and how it came about? Yeah, well, first, uh, thanks so much for for having me on the show, and uh, again, thank you for your service in the military. Um, and everything that you and, and all your friends have, have done for our country. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, well, the 250 units, it, uh, you know, my, my whole business is I raise money and buy apartment communities with investors and we share in the profits, otherwise known as deal syndication. Uh, so with the uh, 250 units, um, one of my, actually one of my clients brought this to me and it was a little bit bigger than what he anticipated finding, uh, but the numbers looked really good on it. So he said, can you help me raise some money? We need about $2 million in two weeks. And I said, that's a lot of money in a short amount of time. I don't think I'll be able to do that, but uh, let's talk through it. Well, it turns out he need, he his earnest money was going hard in two weeks, um, but he didn't need wow. the money for another about 45, 50 days. Uh, so we gave it our best shot for two weeks uh, to determine uh, if our earnest money was going to uh, you know, be put up or if we were going to back out of the deal. And um, we had enough uh, good signals where it, it, uh, it gave me confidence and my money you know, was up hard as well. I went in with them um, on it. Uh, it gave me enough confidence to say, yes, we're going to do this. So uh, I ended up bringing some, somebody else that I know who can raise money into the deal and he raised 1.1 million and then uh, my company raised 1.1 million and um, then another general partner raised about 1.1, 1.2 and together we raised all the equity that we needed to uh, close the deal and um, make, set it up for success. Uh, It took about, like I said, about 45 to 60 days all in and uh, excited about it. Fantastic. So you guys closed on that deal already. Yeah, we closed on it two weeks ago. 
Good, good. Congratulations. Tell me about your best practices for raising money. I mean, you guys, I mean, you just told me you have a few guys that were involved in the deal and they each kind of brought in their own piece. But, you know, are you one-on-one with an investor or is it you putting on, um, you know, a little bit of a show and bringing in multiple investors? I mean, how do you, how do you find uh, is the best way for you to raise money? Yeah, it's similar to the approach you mentioned um, whenever we were having a conversation while I was interviewing you. Uh, it, it's it's a one-on-one approach. I've never done a presentation to multiple people about an opportunity before. It's always been a one-on-one conversation. Now, uh, not as similar to you, I, I have not met all of my investors in, per- in person before. I've met uh, most of them in person before. And in fact, on my, on my first deal, I, I bought a 168-unit apartment community, uh, and I personally raised over a million for that. And uh, the investors in that deal I had met through, through my life, uh, just through different uh, networks I'm a part of. I'm on the alumni advisory board for Texas Tech. I used to be in advertising. And, and so it, it, was a, it was a different conversation uh, because uh, they knew me uh, throughout life. But the, the challenge with that conversation was I was coming at it from an advertising marketing background because that's really the world that they knew me through. So it was a little bit different transitioning kind of their perception of me from an advertising person to someone who's raising money for real estate deals. Fortunately, I'd been teaching a class and I was in New York City at the time. I'd been teaching a class in New York City on how to invest in, invest in properties uh, remotely but live in New York City because that's what I was doing. I was investing in homes in Dallas-Fort Worth where I'm where I was raised, um, but living in New York. I lived, lived in New York City for a decade. But then uh, once I got into multifamily, you know, it, the, the perceptional shift needed to change. So what I did is I surrounded myself with people who uh, had the many years of experience uh, so that I could kind of tout their experience and their expertise. Additionally, I made sure I knew what the heck I was talking about. And then lastly, uh, I, I think it's important to have alignment of interest. So make sure that the people who are in the deal with you on the uh, in their two sides, typically on syndicated deal, limited partner, those who invest the money passively, and the general partner, those who those who raise the money. So the people who are on the general partner side were putting in their own money into the deal as well. Um, now I didn't put my own money into the first deal because I was spending my money trying to create a business from scratch. But I had the other members of the general partnership put in uh, their money um, so that they you know, had an alignment of interest and helped me raise money for that deal. So what it looks like with investors is I have a relationship with the investors now. If it's a new investor, which on this, in this second deal, this 250 units, I have, I'd say, three or four new investors who uh, invested with me. Then it is, if it's not through a referral, uh, then it's, uh, it's going to be through my podcast um, or you know, somebody just they kind of stumbled upon my website or a, an article I've written. And then it's a different conversation. Then it's more of a, a meet and greet because we haven't really spoken to each other before. Although they think they've spoken, they feel like they've spoken to me and they know me really well because of my daily podcast, uh, which is sure. great. It's one, of the, well, it's one of the benefits. It's a great way to build relationship even whenever you're sleeping um, because you're, you, you know, they can play your voice whenever, whenever they want. So that, that's kind of how it's evolved since then. Now I get that, and I get the same thing from the uh, from the podcast. People call you and, and email you, and they, they act like they know you already. Now that, that's great stuff. So can you can you help 
just our audience work through a little bit more of the details of a syndication. And you, you did a great job explaining general partners and limited partners that are investor only. Can you walk us through the, the meat and potatoes of an actual deal? Maybe use some actual numbers of you know, what it takes to raise the money and then how much each uh, the limited partner and the general partner would be participating in the deal as far as equity is concerned? Uh, I'll give you a specific example. I'll give you a hypothetical. And then I'll tell you there is no one way to do it. <laughs> you're, only limited uh, by your, you're only limited by your creativity and the, the business model behind the deal. Uh, because I've seen the rules of thumb I'm about to tell you, um, I've seen just be shattered greatly in one way or the other. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, uh, generally speaking, uh, the limited partners, their responsibility is to put capital towards the deal to help fund it. Um, the general partner's responsibility is to take care of everything else. So getting financing for it, doing the overseeing the management company, making sure that the business plan is being implemented properly, making sure that you're hitting all of the numbers, uh, investor reporting, finding the deal. That's an important part. I have to find the deal and putting the package together to, to raise the funds so that somebody who's investing, say, $50,000 can be part owner in LLC that owns a $20 million property. Uh, which is, uh, you know, a, a kind of a, a unique thing that to to be be an owner of for that relatively small of an investment. So those are the general responsibilities. How the limited partner, the person investing the money, is paid is in this. And now we're getting into a rule of thumb, but there's all sorts of different ways you can do this. Generally, the limited partner will receive some sort of preferred return, and preferred return, you know, with anything in real estate, if it's guaranteed, then I, I'm probably going to run the other direction because nothing in real estate is guaranteed. However, um, the next best thing to a guarantee is a preferred return. And that's when the property cash flows, then a percentage of the cash flow proportionate to the amount of money that investor invested uh, will be given back to him or her um, first. Um, so they've got their first in the pecking order of the profits from the property. And and you'll see preferred returns be anywhere from 5% um, on very conservative deals to, you know, 12% on deals with more risk. And typically uh-huh. those are develop on the, typically those are development deals. And how the developer, you might be wondering, well, how the heck does a developer pay a 12% preferred return where there's no cash flow because it's just land? in the first couple of years while they're building it and getting approvals. Well, how they're able to do that is they defer that towards the later years. So there's actually no no money being provided to the limited partner in this development scenario, but they they get it deferred till um, till later date. So first there's a preferred return and then there's uh, typically some sort of equity split after the preferred return. So it could be 50-50 where the limited partner gets 50% and the general partner gets 50% after the preferred return is paid. Um, it could be 60, 40, 730, 730, whatever, whatever combination. And that's usually driven by a couple things. One is how much money the general partner puts in the deal. Uh, so if they put more money in, then they're likely going to get a higher percent split. Um, so maybe 50-50 instead of them getting 40%, they get, might get 50%, or instead of 30%, they may get 60%. Um, another is their experience and background. 
Um, and another is the level of risk involved too. You know, with development, doesn't matter what you're developing, there's more risk than if it's a, a property, at least in my opinion, there's more risk than if there a property currently exists. So they there needs to be some compa- compensation that's you know that's set up accordingly. Uh, and then after you've got the the preferred return and the equity split, that that's really the the basic. Um, the basic structure. Now, from a syndication standpoint, from the syndicator, the general, the general partner, um, they're also called the GP you'll, for short, um, they also receive different fees. Um, and again, this varies greatly. Uh, some common fees that you'll find are acquisition fees. Um, so at closing, at the closing table, the general partner receives an acquisition fee based on a percentage of the the uh, the the purchase price. Um, so it's typically one to five percent of the purchase price. I've seen it higher. I've seen it lower. For my first deal, I did much lower than one percent just because it was my first syndicated deal. So we closed. It was uh, six point three five million um, was the purchase price and. Uh, my fee for that was at closing twenty two thousand or twenty three thousand. I, I forget the exact amount, um, but that's you know that's like point two two of a percent. But it again it was my first deal, and I didn't have my own money in that first deal. Um, unlike I, I but I, I have my own money in in the second deal. Okay. So the acquisition fee is one. Um, asset management fee is another. There's you can and then and then the uh, as being a general partner and overseeing everything, typically you get more equity in the deal proportionate to what you put in. So if you put in a dollar, you might get a dollar seventy-five worth of equity because you're overseeing everything and you've got other responsibilities. Uh, as far as the specific example, because I said I'd give it a specific example too, um, for this this 250 unit deal, we did a 2% acquisition fee um, the purchase price was $14.1 million, and uh, we have an asset management fee, which is a fee based on the, the revenues uh, from the property. Uh, so it's a performance-based fee of 2%. And, and then there's a disposition fee, so a fee to, uh, at the end of the, whenever you sell the property, of 1%. And that basically is reimbursement for all the time that it takes to get a property ready, work with the lender, coordinate the appraisal, all that good stuff. Oh, that was a lot of great information. I hope our listeners actually had a pen and a notepad. I forgot to remind them to grab that at the beginning. That's a lot of good stuff. Joe, does that proportionate of equity, okay, so like let's say you raise, now generally, am I, am I correct in assuming that you're trying to raise 25% of the total purchase price in order to get long-term financing? Is that, or do you raise the whole thing in cash? Uh, we, we do, we do financing, but, um, it's generally, it's a value add play. So it's to get financing. Yes. 20, 20, 25%, but then we've got, we're raising money for the capital improvements. Uh, so in, in this case, uh, we're doing a hard, uh, we're doing a bridge loan for the first, uh, about two years with the opportunity to extend it for three more years. And, uh, we raised money for the down payment for the bridge loan. Plus, we raised money for the capital improvements, which was 1.75 million. Plus, we raised money for any associated fees. Um, so, i.e., the acquisition fee, um, which 2% of 14.1, I believe, is around 280 thousand dollars. I'd say when the dust settles, and again, it totally depends on how many, how much are the capital improvements. That's the real X factor. 
um, because you kind of know the percent down you need about 25% and you kind of know the fee structure, but really how much money do you have to put in to get the property to implement the business model? I'd say roughly you're going to be looking at like 30, 35% of, of, of money that you need to raise of based on purchase price. But again, that totally varies. I gotcha. And is is limited partners, um, is, is there initial contribution generally one-to-one with equity? Like in other words, if the, you know, do you follow what I'm saying there? Like if they put in 10,000, the building's worth a hundred grand, do they get 10% equity on that property? No, because of what I was mentioning before, where if the general partner puts in a dollar, they, they might get a dollar 75. So that dilutes Mm -hmm. the limited partner's dollar, um, whenever they, they invest in, in the deal. And is there, is there a, rule of thumb percentage of what that limited partners uh, equity should look like? Or is that kind of vary by deal too? That totally varies. I've seen, I, I've seen some deals where the, the general partner gets 50% of the deal without putting any money into it. Um, so you can imagine, you know, kind of how that, that dilutes the limited partner. I've seen some where the uh, general partner puts in uh, 10% and they get 15%. So there's just five percent, um, you know, there. So it, it 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 definitely depends on the factors I mentioned before. I'm going to kind of change gears real quick, Joe, and ask you what type of books or what what book are you reading right now that kind of inspires you to to keep going? Because it seems like you got a lot going on in your life right now. Yeah, I'm actually reading um, uh, uh, the Zillow book. I forget the the name of it, um, but it, it is written by the Oh, it's called The New Rules of Real Estate. It was written by the two Zillow founders. And um, I, I think um, someone from the Zillow team sent it to me. Um, so I, I, just started, I just started reading it. Uh, but as far as books that inspire me, I also I always have the, the 48 Laws of Power next to my, my bed. And anytime I want some inspiration with some specific tactics of what has worked over the history of time, then I read 48 Laws of Power. It's Robert Greene is the author. He writes like no other person you've ever come across. He's just very unapologetic with how he, how he presents information because he knows it's right. And <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, just, it's, it's just like it, 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 will, it will punch you in the face, but it's coming from a historical standpoint of you know, the greatest leaders of all time and how they've, how they've adhered to these specific 48 laws of power and um, transgressions and what happened to the people who didn't follow the 48 laws of power over time. <laughs> okay. I'm going to have to check that one out. I've never heard of it before. It's great. So Joe, you, you have this, this awesome podcast. The reason I came across you and I'm glad that uh, you know, you're willing to interview with me um, was this, uh, this best real estate investing advice ever. How many episodes have you recorded so far? It looks like 350. Yeah, three over 350. Awesome, awesome. So I'm going to ask you a really difficult um, question. I'm going to have you tell me about your past interviews. You, you've probably had hundreds of interviews. Which ones stood out the most and which ones were like those really golden nuggets of advice that you came across that maybe you implemented in your own business? So two que- you had two questions and I, I have two, two different answers as far as what stood out the most and then what have yep. I implemented. Um, so what stood out the most was definitely Barbara Corcoran, you know, the, the, sh- the shark on Shark Tank and she's got a real estate empire. I, I love her. 
And I just wanted to give her a hug afterwards. I mean, she is just a phenomenal person. Um, she's just like she is on TV and um, just just I, I was incredibly grateful to to speak to her and then to give have her give her best real estate investing advice ever and hear and hear her personal stories. Uh, as far as the one of the interviews that stood out, it was talk, the the gentleman was talking about raising money, and he said that raising money is the top of the real estate mountain. When, once you've once you've gotten to the point where you're raising the money, then the deals are going to come to you. You're going to be able to close on the deals, and uh, you're going to be able to com- the, scale your real estate empire like no other. And that's that really resonated with me uh, because that that's what I was going towards, but it wasn't what I was completely focused on. Um, so as you know, as as we've been talking about on on during our conversation, I raise money and I buy apartment communities with investors. That's all I do. Um, mm-hmm. and from a from a, a real estate active real estate investing standpoint. Um, the the only other thing that um, that we'll have time to talk about. There's a lot of pieces of advice, but the only other <laughs> thing that I, I'd like to mention is uh, working on your business, not in the business. And I, I recently yeah. inter- interviewed a gentleman who buys businesses for a living. And I have a certain segment on my podcast called uh, Skill Set Sunday. So I can I can venture out of the typical format that I do where I ask about your best real estate investing advice ever. And I can interview people who aren't necessarily involved in real estate, but they have information that can help be helpful for real estate investors. And sure. he was talking about, I, I, I asked him, I was like, how can we position our real estate company to be purchased later? Because nobody ever talks about that. No, nobody mm-hmm. ever thinks about how can I sell my business, my real estate business. Um, mm-hmm. We always want it to be passive, but if we just slightly tweak the "I want to be passive" to how can I, how can I operate it so that somebody else can come in and take the reins? Well, that's a that's a different type of business structure. So I interviewed him, and and he was he was talking about the the ways where you you really have to have systems in place. And with those systems, have it so that someone can come in and they can they can pay you for your entire business and you can cash out. Should you choose to do so? Should you choose? I mean, you might you might just love it, but that's the other thing where you know I I, I want to structure my companies uh, so that they're not dependent on just me. Now it's impossible for for to structure it that way at the beginning because you are the company, you are the brand initially, uh, at least in most mm-hmm. most companies, but. Uh, eventually, I, I think you you need to evolve your company, regardless of if it's wholesaling, fixing and flipping, syndication, uh, even buy and hold. If there's a way that you can uh, do put all your properties in some maybe portfolio loan or uh, some sort of loan where uh, you can be appealing to a hedge fund later and they'll come in and pay stupid money for it, then uh-huh. why not have that option? You know, it's just like you with your flipping business and you have multiple exit strategies. Why not give ourselves multiple exit strategies for for our stuff. So that's the other piece of advice that's really resonated. It's so smart and it's so timely. I just had this conversation about three weeks ago with this. uh, He's actually one of my second uncles, like my dad's cousin or something like that. I've I've never met the guy before until this couple weeks ago. And, And he's a retired, successful business person. And he said the same thing to me. He goes, what can you sell your company for? And I said, you know, I've never thought about that. I'm just trying to acquire this mountain of real estate that's going to cash flow and, you know, feed my family forever. But he said, no, you have to think about the systems, the structures, the implementation of your day-to-day business. You can actually sell 
your flipping slash wholesaling business. And I thought I've never, never even considered it. So, I mean, that, that's so funny that you brought that up and it's really, <laughs> really timely. I just had the same conversation. So, Joe, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to end it soon. I'm going to thank you so much for coming on. This is a really, um, a really great uh, interview and, and such great information that I know my listeners are going to get a lot out of. Um, let me ask you one parting question, and that is, what are you excited about right now or in the next uh, month or six months in your business or in your life? Because I know you're a lifestyle guy. Yeah, I'd say, um, I mean, quite frankly, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, spending time with my girlfriend, um, just to be honest. <laughs> awesome. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, but but people are listening, well, I don't care about that. Give me some give me some information, give me some real estate stuff. Uh, I, I would say the, the second thing is, uh, well, the second thing is my mom's visiting next week, so that's, but okay, and now I'm seriously going to get to the business stuff. Um, the, the third thing that I'm most excited about is, just seeing through this, the 250 units in Houston. And then also I put my 168 units on the market um, in Cincinnati and we've been getting a lot of interest there. Just went on the market. So if, uh, you know, kind of seeing how that uh, transpires and seeing what type of value we can, we can help give the new buyer and, you know, consequently the new owner of that. So kind of seeing through the 168 unit sale and then also overseeing this 250 units that's uh, rocking and rolling right out of the gate. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you being on. Really excited to have you and uh, some awesome information. So thank you again and I can't wait to connect with you again soon. Thanks a lot.